is the Mulberry Lane Show. The Mulberry Lane Show. Exclusive interviews, fun, music, celebrities. Your weekend getaway. Now, here's Mulberry Lane, Rachel, Bo, and Ellie Cat. Be a part of the family. Okay, guys, we're here, you're there, and it's time for the Mulberry Lane Show. It's Rachel here with your radio sisters, Bo and Allie, and yep, we've got a show for you today. Yes, we do. This show today is one for the musical purists. You're really going to dig it. That's right. Let's get to those guest sisters. The Mulberry Lane Show's on. Celebrity story songs. You're going to have it going on when we tell you who's stopping by now. Up first today, iconic trumpet player, record label exec, Grammy winner, basically iconic everything. <laughs> Herb Alpert is here today. Guys, Herb Alpert is the master, and you're going to find out why. We get into his creativity, his decision-making process, and wow, one impressive guy, and you're going to get a lot of stories today. Now, Herb Alpert is going to be here in the Heartland at the Holland Performing Arts Center on September 28th. He's here with his wife and great artist in her own right, Lonnie Hall of Brazil 66. And Herb also has two albums coming out, so you're going to hear about that as well. Well, whatever the occasion is, Herb Alpert always makes a very smooth soundtrack. And our dad would agree. (laughs) Okay, Rachel, who's up next? Okay, guys, you're going to want to meet Terrence J. Now, this guy has hosted shows on BET, MTV, and currently he just took over the hosting job of MTV's Are You The One? Now, this is a really fun, romantic, matchmaking reality show with a few twists. So you're going to hear all about that. You're going to want to keep an eye on Terrence J. This guy has got it going on. Who else, <laughs> sisters? Okay, well, then you'll hear from New York Times bestselling author, Megan Whalen-Turner. Well, this Newbery Honor Award winner returns you to her fantastic fantasy world in Thick as Thieves. Now, you're going to hear all about how she creates this imaginative world, the characters in it, and how the stories have spawned new plots. You'll be really intrigued with how this woman's imagination works. Pretty cool to hear her talk about how everything fell into place. Crawl into Megan's mind today. That's right. It's a cool place to be. (laughs) Okay, Allie, your four-year-old daughter, Clover, just started piano lessons. How's it going? Okay, Rachel, well, Clover sees her big brother taking piano lessons, and she was really anxious to get started. So we started a few weeks ago, and at her lesson earlier this week, at the very end, her teacher, he was going over a few of the things that she needed to keep in mind, and he said, do you have any questions for me? And she replied with this, "Uh, yes, my question is, do you have any questions for me? (laughs) (laughs) He really laughed, and of course, I was sitting there dying. He looked at me, and he goes, okay, in all my years of teaching, this is the first time that I've been asked that back. Well, you know, Allie, she must be taking after her mom. She's asking the questions. That's right. She's hearing the interview show maybe a little bit too much. Oh, good for her. I have a feeling she's not going to be a shy pianist. No, she's not. Okay, well, to take over, Clover. Just like Clover, we're going to be asking the questions when we come back. We'll be right back with, as we say it, iconic everything, Herb Alpert. 
stay right there, guys. Right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. Brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. celebrities on your radio station back to the mulberry lane show now here's mulberry lane well the word legend and icon are tossed around rather casually in the music business today but when you sold over 72 million albums founded the iconic a&m records and inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame you've got a grammy trustee award and you funded college music schools you've earned that distinction several times over now you guys have an opportunity to see this legendary jazz trumpet player, composer, record executive, artist, and philanthropist in action when Herb Alpert swings through the heartland September 28th at the Holland Performing Arts Center in Omaha and check out his brand new two releases, Music Volume 1 and The Christmas Wish, which will be released very shortly. Herb Alpert here on the show, iconic career, ready, set, here we go. Oh, what an intro. (laughs) (laughs) Great to have you. Thank you so much. We could probably talk to you for about three hours, but (laughs) let's start with the concert. What can fans expect when they see the concert at the Holland Performing Arts Center? Well, they'll hear some good music. I'll do a little Tijuana Brass medley, and then my wife Lonnie, who's a world-class singer, will do little Brazil 66 retroactive songs, you know, and around that's going to be really interesting music because it's different every night for us. Very spontaneous. I let the guys... You know, play whatever they. How many musicians? There's three guys behind us, and we've been with the same musicians for the last 11 years. So we do great songs. They have their own little attitude on that particular night. I mean, I couldn't be doing the same songs over and over again every night. It just wouldn't be fun for me. Uh So now you have been at a point in your life for a while where you can record and tour because you love it, and this is your passion. You don't need money or fame. So how does this for you affect, you know, the recording process and the performances? Oh, that's a really good question. I got hooked when <laughs> I had this incredible opportunity when I was eight years old in my grammar school. There was a music appreciation class, and there was a table filled with various instruments. I happened to pick up the trumpet, okay. and it obviously changed my life because even at that time, you know, when I finally made a sound out of it, it was talking for me because I was super shy. I was uh, an introvert, mm. and uh, the trumpet was uh, my voice. So uh, it had an amazing effect on the rest of my life. Being to the place where you can do it for the enjoyment of it has got to be very freeing. It's out of my control because it's something I need. I'm a creative guy. You know, I, I'm 85% in the right side of my brain. So I paint and I sculpt. I make music. Recording is one of my real passions. I love to do it. I love to try to take songs that are familiar to people and to myself and see how many different ways I can do it. Mm-hmm. They like become new songs. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what you did with your current album, Music uh, well, That was my pursuit. You know, I wanted to make positive music. I think we're going through a strange time right now uh-huh. in our country and around the world. There's a lot of negative energy. I wanted to make a positive album, an album that has an upside of life. The songs you chose, was that kind of the overriding theme for the decisions? You know, I have this incredible ability to uh, be an audience to my own music. Okay. So when I'm recording, I'm not listening to the trumpet player. I'm listening to the overall feeling. And if it feels good for me, I stop. And if it doesn't feel good, I try to get it to the place where it does give me the goosebumps. And if I can't get it to that place, then I just drop it. I just go for the next song. Okay. 
So you don't really hone in on the details of what you're playing. You more have objective ears, and you're kind of hearing it from the audience standpoint. Yeah, well, I, you know, it's a good, good, good thought as well. I, I like to think that uh, my music is very spontaneous. You know, with the zeros and ones and the computers and the technology we have, you know, you can have umpteen million yes. tracks. Right. So that could be a disadvantage to a lot of artists because you clean it up so much, you take the heart out of it. Uh-huh. You and can I, I try get to, to perfection. Yeah. Oh, I, I try to keep the spontaneity. Look, when I started, I know it was before your time, but I had a wire tape recorder. Okay. <laughs> it was a WebCore wire tape recorder, and then there was mono, one track, and then there okay. were two tracks, and then three and four and eight, and, and now it's uh, zeros and ones. It's just endless. So it can trap you as an artist. Mm-hmm. It can make you do things that you really shouldn't be doing because it should be spontaneous. And that's why I think jazz is such an important art form because it's of the moment. It just, right. It's just that thing that happens once. You're here shooting the musical breeze with legendary performer, artist, record company executive, and multiple Grammy winner Herp Alpert here on the Mulberry Lane Show. So now take us back to that time in the 60s when you were recording and you multi-tracked the trumpet for the first time. Yeah, I guess it was around 1958 or 59 I heard How High the Moon by Les Paul, Mary Ford. And Les was uh, stacking his guitar. I mean, he was recording on top of his own, uh, you know, not saying this right. (laughs) (laughs) He was recording his guitar on top of itself. Yeah, something like uh, that. That sounds really sexy, I know. (laughs) That's what was happening. (laughs) Anyways, he was doing that, and then I thought, "Mm, let me try that with the trumpet. I had two tape machines at uh, my little studio in, in my garage. And uh, boom, out came that uh, sound, and I said, whoa, that's a nice sound. That was the genesis of the Tijuana brass sound, and I, I well, played all the Well, there's your ears trumpet. again. Your ears knew that, that people would embrace that sound. And when it feels good for me, I feel like, well, maybe there'll be a few other people that might like it. Okay. I, I never thought about trying to make hit records. I try to make good records. Throughout your career, you've made a lot of what it seems like with all your success, a lot of right choices, you know, from your mentors to collaborators to, you know, the choices you made in the studio, doubling the, the trumpet. And, of course, when you're at A&M, the artists you sign. Do you feel like you are aligned in a way most people aren't? Or did you just do a lot of reading and listening and searching <laughs> and practicing? No, I, you know, I don't have any formula. I really don't. I try to be as honest as I can. I learned a great deal from the great Sam Cooke when I worked with him in the early days. He was um, a special artist. I mean, one thing in particular stands out for me is he used to carry around a notebook with uh, lyrics. And one day he came up to me and says, Herbie, what do you think of this uh, lyric here? And I, I was reading the lyric. And thinking to myself, I didn't say this to him, but I was thinking, man, this is the corniest lyric I've ever, <laughs> I've ever seen. I said, Sam, what is the, uh, what's the song like? What, what's the melody? He picked up his guitar and played with his passionate way and started singing this lyric in a way that all of a sudden I got the aha. It's okay. not what you do, it's the way how you do it. Uh-huh. So he turned this corny lyric into magic for me. And from that point on, I realized that it's about passion. It's about really, you know, doing what you really feel is uh, right to do now, as an artist. he recorded and your song that you co-wrote, Wonderful World. Yeah, and that was recorded as a demo, by the way. Sam just wanted to see if the song would work, and the company put it on the shelf. They didn't release it until, you know, Sam left Keen Records and 
recorded for RCA Victor. And when he had all that success, Keen Record Company decided to release that demo <laughs> that uh, okay. Sam made, uh-huh. and it turned out to be one of his biggest records. Uh-huh. So now, when you heard that vocal and his interpretation of your lyrics for the first time, what was your reaction on it? Even though it was I thought it was good, I didn't, uh-huh. you know, I didn't think that uh, it was going to be as big as it ended up being. But uh-huh. you never know, you know, timing plays a huge part in every artist's success. Yeah. You have to be at the right place at the right time, and if you're ready to uh, go through the door, then you you got something going. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, timing, it's exactly. timing. If we tried to start A and M Records now in today's environment, it wouldn't have happened. I don't think. You said you're a right brain guy. But you had to make a lot of left-brain decisions when you're running a record label. So how did you deal with those kinds my of left, decisions? My left-brain decision was getting myself a partner that <laughs> had a left brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes that easier then, right? <laughs> yeah. No, my left brain can work. But, you know, at A&M, we started in my garage, and there were the two of us, then three, then five, then 20, then 40, then 100, and then two... You know, and so we were having these weekly meetings with lawyers and accountants, and I realized, man, that ain't my thing. I, I can't even follow these people. And it was digging into my creativity. So I kind of stood back from that, and, and I was involved in the major decisions that we made at A&M. I didn't want to do the everyday nuts and bolts. It just didn't work for me. Got to take a quick break. We'll be back with more from this legendary musical icon, Herb Alpert. Much more to learn. Keep it right here with your radio sisters on The Mulberry Lane Show. Bringing you the stories behind the songs. Back to the Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Thanks for keeping it here on the Mulberry Lane Show. If you're just joining us, you're listening to part two of a recent chat with legendary music guy Herb Alpert. Now, he was known for his Tijuana brass and has sold over 72 million albums, along with starting the iconic AM Records, Grammy winning songwriter and performer. He's also a painter and sculptor and a philanthropist. This guy has about done it all and done it all very, very well. He's sharing a lot of really cool stories with you here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Let's get back with Herb Alpert. You let Waylon Jennings out of his contract because he wanted to go more country. And you knew he had something and he would probably be a star, but you let him out of the contract. Was that the artist in you? Oh, yeah. That was the turning point for me with A&M. I knew if we could do that, then, then we were going to be successful because we were looking at it from his point of view, from right, Waylon's from the point artist. of view. Yeah. And Waylon was a great guy, a wonderful artist. I did want to take him a little more pop, and he wanted to really be a country artist. Mm-hmm. And he got this phone call from uh, Chet Atkins, who was, uh, you know, Mr. Country, who was the head of RCA in Nashville. And he told us about it, and I remember the day we signed the release, and I looked at my partner, I said, I think this guy's going to be a huge star. Uh-huh. And my partner said, yeah, I think so too, and we both knew it. Because uh-huh. Waylon had something, whatever that it thing it, is, it, he it, had it. Yeah. So, so how uh, come we don't operate like that anymore? I mean, our labels have become such machines and businesses. Well, because a lot of these labels are handled by bottom line people, like lawyers, and they're making bottom line decisions. When we sold A&M, for instance, they wanted to know how much money they're going to make in the next six months. I mean, there's no way of calculating that. You don't know yeah. what type of records are going to be selling. And you selling. knew you had to get out at that point. 
Well, I knew something was up. You know, at first I was willing to sell 49%, but they kept upping the situation. And I had a sense something was coming around the corner. You know, I didn't really put it into my brain as uh, file sharing and zeros and ones are going to, you know, Uh devastate the record industry. I didn't have that, but I felt something. Uh And then they kept up in the price, and then we said, okay, you know, let's do it. The timing is, is right. So now when you were ahead of A&M, how did you decide what bands you would sign? Was it a gut thing? Oh, it was totally gut. Okay. I, I learned from Sam Cooke to close my eyes, listen to a group, don't be intimidated if they're wonderful to look at and they can dance, you know, well, around the room. I was just listening for the feeling, and okay. if the feeling hit me, I, I, I was in. You know, when I heard the Carpenters, it wasn't the music that... I normally gravitate towards, but I recognize that voice that Karen had, and when I met with them, it, it was a real sincere... What they were putting out was really the music that was coming out of them naturally, and Richard was a, a student of the record business. He knew about recording and recording technique. He had a good flair for songs, and he knew how to uh, get the most out of Karen, and then, you know, I gave them Close to You. I gave oh. them that song. Wow. <clears throat> And uh, they recorded it, and Karen was playing drums on the first recording. And when I heard it, I said, no, this doesn't work yet. Let's try this one again. And it wasn't until we got the wrecking crew, we got Hal Blaine on drums and Joe Osborne on bass. And then the record got really deep, and and Richard made this beautiful arrangement. And I I remember the day I heard the master, and then I played it for Burt Backrack over the phone, and he just about fainted. I mean, he just loved it, wow. and so did I. And, it, you know, we didn't have any idea that it was going to be as big as it was. I mean, it just opened the door wide for these two wonderful artists. Mm-hmm. And that was the time when record labels nurtured their artists and allowed them the creative freedom to grow and try things. That's what we did as a company. You know, we had some wonderful artists that didn't necessarily have a hit record right off the bat, but we knew that if they're doing concerts, they can flag themselves down the runway with uh, that type of input. Well, you're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show with special guest Herb Alpert here, talking all about his musical journey. And don't forget, he's got a performance coming up September 28th at the Holland Center in Omaha. How important was the decision to marry your wife, Lonnie? It wasn't a decision. (laughs) No, it wasn't a decision. It was uh, luck. This timing again, you know. Good timing tends to follow you around, doesn't it? Well, um, I don't know. I think it follows everyone around. You got to know when to strike. (laughs) I think I think good gut decisions follow you around. You know, I I kind of live by my gut. I I live by the feelings I have, and when it feels right, I I go for it. And you guys have been married for over forty years, and you tour and travel together. So, what's your secret? Well, she's my guardian angel and my muse. You know, she's an amazing person. Outside of being a world-class uh, artist, I mean, she changed my life. She really did change my life, and I'm very, very lucky to have Lonnie in my life. Oh, <laughs> and I loved seeing you guys on your new video for I'm Yours. You can sense your love, and that was such a clever video as well. Yeah, it's, it's getting amazing attention on yes. YouTube. It's over 700,000 uh, hits on it in less than a month, yeah. so it's, it's fantastic. Awesome. You are also a sculptor and a painter, and of course you have this passion for music. So when you get up in the morning, how do you decide which art pursuit you're going to do for that day? 
Well, I usually play a couple notes on the horn and just kind of stay in shape with the horn, and then I'll walk in at the paint studio and, and look at the latest painting that I'm working on and see if I can do something to it that'll make it better. And I have this uh, wax system in the kitchen, so I heat up this wax and then mold it into a shape that makes me feel good. And then when I get a shape that I really like that might be like four inches, five inches high, I'll take it into the sculpture studio, which I have, and two guys that come on Monday and Tuesday to help me. And if, if I like the shape, we transfer it up to about three or four feet. And if that really works, then we go up to, you know, 14, 15, 18 feet and make these bronze totems or whatever shape I'm doing. You know, I have nine totems at the Field Museum in Chicago at the moment. Okay. There's eight huge ones as you approach the uh, facility, and then there's one monster inside that's about 18 feet wow. in bronze. And, I mean, it's been great. I, I'm a lucky... I have... I'm lucky. You know, I, yeah. I feel like I, I'm not uh, taking it for granted. I wake up each morning thankful that you know, life has been good to me, and I try to pass it on. And with uh, the Herb Alpert Foundation, I know so many kids are out there that, you know, would like to be doing something creative, but, uh, you know, they come from terrible backgrounds. Right. And they're looking for the same thing we're all looking for. They're looking for a life of purpose. Mm-hmm. So uh, I try to, you know, reach out and help those kids if I can. And I think uh, being creative at a real early age is an important ingredient to uh, developing the whole person. I agree. With the funding of music in schools decreasing every year, it's a sad thing to witness. It's not only sad, it's terrible. It's it's anti-helpful. It's not the right thing to do. These politicians don't get it. And how, Uh, you know, it helps develop the whole person. Absolutely. And uh, it's a win-win because, you know, if a kid can get excited about their creativity, not necessarily being a musician. You could, with writing poetry, or dance. dance, yeah. Yeah, sculpting, painting, whatever that happens to be. If you can get involved in your own thing and feel good about your own uniqueness, because everyone's unique, you might be able to uh, appreciate the uniqueness in others, and mm-hmm. that's a win-win. And, of course, when you start learning an instrument or learning how to write, you know, express yourself, it folds over into the academics because there's a little discipline that's involved. You just can't do it because you want to. You have to work at it. And I always tell kids, you know, what's the secret to my success? Well, I don't have the secret, but I'll tell you one thing. you got to practice every day. Get good at what you're doing because while you're sleeping, someone else who wants the same thing you do is uh, practicing. That's absolutely true. true. Yeah. yeah. So now Music Volume 1 has been released, and I'm assuming since it's called Volume 1, there's going to be subsequent volumes following. Oh, yeah, I'm already on it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so you got to promise us when Volume 2 is out, you come back and visit. Well, I will for sure, and you're going to love Volume 2. I got some things in Volume 2 that are fantastic, but I don't want to undersell Volume 1. I I think Volume 1 is a really good record. And then the Christmas Wish actually comes out, I believe, the same date that you're at the Holland Performing Arts Center. So That's right, and it was an interesting moment for me because I 
did this Christmas album in the heat of summer in August. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's good. It's with orchestra and choir and beautiful arrangements. I'm very happy with it. Yeah, well, it's going to be such a special night for people in the heartland to see you. Yeah, well, come and say hi, and don't forget, come and hear Lonnie. You will love her. I'm excited. That'll be awesome. She is uh, Barbara Streisand Plus. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Good luck, you guys. Herb Albert here on the Mulberry Lane Show. Catch him live September 28th at the Holland Performing Arts Center in Omaha. Right back here on the Mulberry Lane Show with actor, Emmy nominee, and new host of a show on MTV, Terrence J. Keep it right here with us. The Mulberry Lane Show. Now, here's Mulberry Lane. Well, you know Terrence J from BET's 106 and Park, co-host of E! News, and most recently he took over the host spot of MTV's dating competition, Are You the One? This three-time Emmy nominee and executive producer is here to fill you in on season six of Are You the One? Airing Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Central on MTV. Getting you caught up with the series right now. Welcome, welcome to the show, Terrence J. Good morning, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So for those who haven't seen the series, you got to explain the deal to them. All right, here's what All You The One is all about, man. We got 22 single people from all over the world looking for their perfect match. We had matchmakers identify who the perfect person is for each one of them. Threw them in a house, and now it's their job to find out who their perfect someone is. So the big question is, if your perfect match is right in front of you, would you be able to identify who they are? And it's a really complicated thing. Now, if all of them find their perfect match, they all win $1 million. Each one wins a million dollars. No, no, no. They're all of them together. Okay. The house wins. So they all have to work together in order for them to win the million dollars. If they don't, all of them leave with nothing. So it's all or nothing. Yep. Okay. So, so now, does everybody have to find their mate? Every single one of them okay. has to find their mate. So there are 11 guys and 11 girls, and we need all of them to find their perfect match in order for them all to win. Okay, so now when they were chosen, did you have in mind, like, which two belong together? That's the whole thing. All right, the matchmakers have determined who their perfect match okay. already is, right? But the contestants don't know who they've kind of been matched up with. No, that's why they're there. It's for them to figure out who they're supposed to be with. Okay. So since everyone yeah. you know, shares in the million dollars if they all find a mate, does that cut down on the backstabbing and the jealousies, perhaps? No, no, because people fall in love. And yeah. so, you know, you might end up talking to a person. Once you've identified that they're not a perfect match, then you still like that person. You're still jealous about that right. person. So, yeah, it's really hard to, like, differentiate your emotions from trying to win the money. That's what the whole game is about. So now, your role as the host of this, are you scripted or do you fly by the seat of your pants? Fly by the seat of my pants. You know, I mean, there are certain parts of the script 
you got to keep the format and the show going. But you have no idea what's going to happen in each episode, so you got to be willing to adjust. So now what would people be surprised to know about what you have to do as your part of this gig? You know, I was surprised because I had no idea. People really make bad decisions <laughs> when it comes to love. Yeah, you know, okay. you might tell the matchmaker, hey, I want a guy who treats me right, a guy that looks me in the eyes and tells me that he loves me and tells me that he wants to be with me. And then as soon as you get around that guy, you're like, oh, he's sweating too hard. He's throwing yeah. in my face. I want to go in this other direction and go for this guy that dogs me out. And that's exactly what we watch happen. They go for the wrong stuff. Okay, so, so, that's now, the name of the game. so now being a part of this, does it make you believe more in love or does it make you more skeptical about love? You know, I'm a hopeless romantic. So I love love. So I feel like you can find a perfect person. But I feel like, like anything in life, the older and wiser and more mature you get, the more experience you have with people and the more experience you have with relationships, the better you'll be at being in love and right. finding love. And so these are young people. They mess up a lot. Right. Yeah. yeah. So now you were a super fan of this series to start with. So how did you land the hosting gig for this? You know, for me, I love content and I love making people smile. And so when I did a show like Safe Word, uh-huh. I loved walking through the airport and people were like, yo, I love you on Safe Word. Here's my Safe Word. Or, you know, when I did E! News, oh, that was a great story. When I did 106, Oh, that was an amazing video. So for me, I wanted to do a show that tapped into, you know, relationships and the psyche of relationships. Okay. And so this was a show that I was a fan of, and I was happy to host it. And I can't wait for people to see, you know, what we came up with. Okay, now will we be surprised at what transpires as we go on this journey? Every episode has a twist and turn. You at home will say, oh, that person should be with that person. But it's probably then, obvious to the audience. Who should be together? Well, we think it's obvious. Uh-huh. You're, you're going to think, oh, Brad Pitt and Angelina, they're a match made in heaven. They're going to be together on this show. And then the ending is not how you think it's going to happen. So now, do you feel like people who come on the show, do you think they're after money or are they after love? I think they're really after love. And if they're after money, you know, once you're on this show three weeks and you're isolated from the world, you're really looking for a connection and uh-huh. really looking for love. So then for everyone to end up with a partner, does that mean they have to stay together for a certain amount of time? Or what is the commitment at the end? No, no. You know, we hope that if you find the perfect person, it'll last. We've had people on this show that are married, that have okay. kids, that okay. have been together for years. So we have several case studies of relationships that have worked. So, yeah, that's the name of the game. You know, we have 11 couples that will hopefully leave from the show. And if a couple of them make it, that'll be great. That'd be great. you got to tune in to find out. Okay. So I'm sure they all learn things, too, about themselves and how to be better at relationships. Absolutely. Now, before we let you go, just for you personally, as an actor, producer, host, how do you approach your career decisions? Are you the type that, you know, kind of jumps at every opportunity? Or do you have your set path where you know where you want to go next? The most important thing is to do things that you're passionate about. Do things that you care about because that's going to transcend everything and that's going to make waking up every morning and being in front of the camera, that's going to make a world of difference. Uh Okay, and then where can fans learn more about you and the series? Every Wednesday, 10 p.m. on MTV. Tune in. All right, Terrence J., thanks for joining the show. Love to hear about it. Love to get to know you better. Thank you. Terrence J, the show is Are You the One? 9 p.m. Central, Wednesday nights on MTV. Well, right around the corner is New York Times best-selling author Megan Whalen Turner. Keep hanging with us on the Mulberry Lane Show, brought to you by Braddock Finnegan Dermatology. Nothing I can see but you when you dance, 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 feel
you covered the mulberry lane show now here's mulberry lane thanks for keeping it here on the mulberry lane show brought to you by braddock finnegan dermatology new york times best-selling author megan whalen turner brings her suspenseful world of atolia to your weekend now hear all about her latest epic novel thick as thieves and catch up with all the mystery and intrigue right now welcome Welcome to the show, Megan Turner. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, it's awesome to have you. I can't tell you how much I envy somebody who can carry a tune. Well, I envy someone who can write such fabulous books. <laughs> That's great. Okay, now for those not familiar with your epic novels, you have written four previous standalone books to Thick as Thieves. So set the stage for the world you've created. I started writing The Thief back in the early 1990s. Okay. I had an idea for a story, and I didn't know where I wanted to set the story until I took a long visit to Greece. Okay. And I decided that, that that was the perfect setting. So my books are set in a world that's not our world, but looks a lot like the Mediterranean landscape. Okay. It's got a culture a lot like the Byzantine Okay. world, uh-huh. and it's got gods and goddesses that look a little bit like the Greek gods and goddesses that are busy interfering in the lives of various different mortals. Okay, so now, did you do quite a bit of research to make the whole thing hold together? When we say research, it sounds so organized and purposeful, but, okay. uh, but in my experience, <laughs> no, it's not really organized and purposeful as much as it is just a lifetime of acquiring new information okay. wherever I go. I I think it's important to go on learning things for your whole life. And I also think that a lot of my own experiences end up under some transformation in my books. So this is the inside of my head that I'm putting down on a page. Okay. In your writing process, when you first started this, did you create the world first, then the characters? For me, the world that I set the story in is really important. And I don't think that I could have written the book before I decided on where I was going to set the story. Okay. So the background of the world for me drives a lot of things that happen, you know, the placement of the countries and their competition with each other has a lot to do with how the world is built. And did the characters, you know, step out of the landscape for you? Well, I I always had the idea, even before I'd found the landscape, I had my main character for the piece. He's a very overconfident young man who thinks that he can steal anything and that he should. And in the beginning of The Thief, he's locked up in jail, not surprisingly, in the king's prison in one small country. And he's pulled out of that jail to do a job for the king of that country that he doesn't really have any interest whatsoever in doing. And that's the story of The Thief. You're listening to the Mulberry Lane Show. You're hearing from Newberry Honor Award winner and best-selling author of five novels set in the world of The Queen's Thief. Megan Whalen Turner is here talking about her latest novel, Thick as Thieves. So now you were a bookseller before you started writing. So what did that teach you about your eventual foray into this part of the business? Well, I was a bookseller right after I graduated from college, and I was a buyer for various different children's book sections inside general bookstores. And I was married to a professor, and every time he would get any sort of a grant or a fellowship, it was an opportunity 
for us to go live someplace new for a year at a time. Okay. But that meant that I was frequently leaving one job and picking up a short-term job someplace else. Mm -hmm. One year, I decided while we were living in San Diego that instead of picking up that short-term job, I would just conceive of the entire year as my opportunity to write. Was that terrifying for you at that point, or was that a freeing thing? It was a really safe decision at that point because I didn't have anything writing on it, and when I was writing my first short stories... I wasn't thinking about them being published, so I wasn't worried about whether they were publishable. I was only worried about whether I liked them. Okay. And my idea was I'd write a couple of short stories, I'd see how that worked out, and I would send them out as samples. And then if a publisher was interested in my writing, they might subsequently be interested in a book, a full-length book. And so I was really kind of stunned as a bookseller because I didn't think there was a market for short stories. When I sent those short stories out and Susan Hirschman at Green Willow said that she'd like to publish them. Wow. And and that turned into my first published book instead of Three Wishes. So then that eventually led to the epic novels. Yes. And then after I did the collection of short stories, I thought it was time that I would write a novel. That was actually a little more nerve-wracking. Because you, had, you had a track record. Exactly. Because now I had somebody who was expecting a book. And I was doing something that I'd never done before, which was write a whole length novel. Yeah. Being a writer in the age of social media, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for instant feedback. Do you enjoy that? How do you view the whole social media aspect of what you do? Well, I have an unusual approach, I think, to not so much to social media, but to the questions that people ask me about my work. Okay. In this day and age, it's really easy for readers to get in touch with authors and ask them things like, what does it mean? Mm-hmm. And how come this person did that? <laughs> and, uh, and one question I get not infrequently is, how old is your main character? Okay. And as the most uncooperative author ever, my answer is, I can't answer that question. I feel that even in this day and age where you can actually ask an author, that doesn't mean that it's really a great idea for the author to do that. And your reason for that that is? Because half of the fun of reading is deciding on those things for yourself. Okay. And I never want to have anything I say interfere with a reader's opportunity to decide for themselves how old the character is or why the character does something or what any of it means. Okay, and then what's next on your plate? I have one more book that I'm working on now that I've been looking forward to writing for a long time about these characters and set in this world, and then I think I'll be done with this world, and I'm going to go explore a new one. How exciting. Thick as Thieves is the name of the novel. It's by Megan Whalen-Turner. And Megan, thank you so much for joining the show, and when the next one's out, you'll have to come back and visit us again. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Well, that's Megan Whalen-Turner. You got a trip inside her fantasy world and her incredible creative mind. It's a nice vacation from my mind. (laughs) All right, Megan, thanks for stopping by sharing your intriguing world with us today. And make sure you pick up a copy of her latest novel, Thick as Thieves, by this New York Times bestselling author, Megan Whalen-Turner. And multiple award winner as well. Who else do we need to thank, sisters? A big Mulberry Lane Show hug to Herb Alpert. 
Herb, thank you so much for joining the show, telling us all about your fabulous career. And guys, don't forget to catch him September 28th at the Holland Center in Omaha. Yes, he'll be with his wife, Lonnie Hall. And this guy has so much iconicness. <laughs> you got to see this guy in action. All right. Who else, Allie? All right. Well, big MTV hugs to Terrence J. As you guys found out today, Terrence J is the host of the MTV Matchmaker Show. Are you the one? Terrence, thanks for hanging out with the Mulberry Sisters today. And guys, you be the one to tune into that show. When does it air, Allie? Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Central on MTV. You're in for a crazy ride. Mm -hmm. And we will meet you guys same time, same place, same show, same amount of fun next weekend. Well, not the same show. We'll have different guests. (laughs) That's right. Same (laughs) sisters. Yes, we're not changing. (laughs) All right, guys. See you next weekend. Bo, stay happy and stay blessed. Allie, don't forget to be awesome. Rachel, that's a wrap. You know I'm okay with just being okay And floating down the river of life I'm alright being alright Don't need something wonderful tonight Living life this way, a new face for me Just riding the tide with the moon Things change, you see just like how you went away too soon I'm not gonna worry today about tomorrow I keep making my way I'm not gonna worry about yesterday's sorrow I keep faking my way Going with the way that the wind blows Going with the way that the wind blows me Never showed me a sign. High winds ahead of an